20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. and welcome to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. If these voices don't sound familiar, it's because, well, it's been a pretty good minute since we've been together. I am your host. I am Jacob Westendorf here. It is Saturday, March 23rd. It is the week of opening day in Major League Baseball, so I'm excited. I already have the day off for the occasion, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Joined with me is Zach Jacobson returning from a brief hiatus, we are finally back together again. Zach, it's been a minute. How are you? I'm good, man. It's been, it feels like it's been a couple months since we've been together, but really it's only been a few weeks. Wow. It's its good to be paired back up again. And yeah. uh, also, also, nobody cares about baseball, Jacob. Yeah, that's fair. I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the rule is in podcast timing, if you're not together, it's like every week is actually about a month. So if you do that, I think the last time we were together was right after the combine. So it's been about a month, which means about four or five months in podcast timing. So it's been a long time. We didn't have a chance. I have heard some of your thoughts and opinions, but I kind of want to go through this stuff together on the Green Bay Packers and the not normal activity that they had in free agency. They signed four guys, uh, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Adrian Amos, and Billy Turner. Uh, They also re-signed Mercedes Lewis. We can talk about that a little bit because that was a little surprising to me. But let's start with the two big ones. Uh, Obviously, the edge rushing position was a huge need coming into the offseason, and they signed not one but two guys. Zach, go through that day with me a little bit because here's kind of the timeline of how it went. Was Zadarius Smith, it was announced he agreed to terms with Green Bay at about 8 o'clock Central time. And then about a half hour later, it was they signed Adrian Amos. And then I always say I went dark for a little bit. I wasn't checking my phone at work for a little while. And then I came back about an hour later and found out they had signed Preston Smith also, and I was floored. And then about 45 minutes later, they signed Billy Turner. So within a span of three hours, they had signed about four guys and to some pretty big money contracts. So let's start with the pass rushers. When they signed Zadarius Smith, did you think, okay, there's the edge rusher. They're done. They're not going to do anything at that position now until the draft. Is that what your thought was, or did you think that any somebody else was, like, maybe not Preston Smith, but, like, Justin Houston or one of those lower-tier Aaron Lynch-type pass rushers? Did you think that was possible, or did you think they were done? Going into free agency, I was almost, like, absolutely positive that Justin Houston was going to end up being a Green Bay Packer. Like, that just seemed like the perfect prototypical 
veteran Packer signing. You know, very similar like when they when they grabbed Julius Peppers, but obviously on that not, not that caliber. But you know, I'm I'm on the West Coast time over here, so I woke up like right around six in the morning for work, and they had already signed Zadarius Smith. They had already signed Adrian Amos, and I'm like still trying to get get, get my freaking wits about me and like like process this. And the the Zadarius Smith signing, you know, I I had my my proper state of knowledge about him who he was and I, I had a feeling you know they had to probably pay, pay top dollar to land him um and lo and behold they did he he actually he agreed to his deal i guess right around midnight the night before which you know on the the opening day of free agency which I, I read so that was that was kind of interesting enough and then it was announced in the following morning but yeah i i didn't think they would really double dip there because you know we've gone through the entire off season speculating on who that pick is going to be at, at 12th overall when the Packers are on the clock in April. You know, we, we have all been thinking it's either going to be Brian Burns and for a, a brief period of time we thought it would be uh, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, even though he's he's falling faster than I could even say. But, yeah, you know, we to land Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, those two guys, that just gives the Packers two, like, immediate day one starters that, you know, Preston, obviously, in one specific spot, but Zadarius can move. He can be moved in multiple spots, and the Packers can send him in. Mike Pettin can get creative with him. And I think that was one of the most intriguing things about this, uh, that signing. Yeah, the Packers paid a lot of money for those guys, but, you know, you got to pay top dollar, especially when they're, they're in a bidding war with um, with the Jets, the Colts, for, for both of those guys. Yeah, and those guys had a billion dollars in cap space. So when I heard that, I was even more surprised that Green Bay had won a bidding war, just not because of the the narrative on Packers Twitter seems to be that Green Bay never wins a bidding war. My counter-argument to that is Green Bay is never in bidding wars. They haven't been, at least in my, my cognizant time here as a fan. So it's been a long time since they've done those things. What I like the most about these moves, I've, I've made the rant. I'm not going to do it a million times over again, but... They added two starters to a position that has sorely lacked playmakers since Clay Matthews was in his prime. They probably haven't been solid at the edge rushing position since 2015 when they had Nick Perry, uh, Clay Matthews, and Julius Peppers all up and running. Uh, and that's that's something even then. Peppers was aging. He was still very good, but he was aging. Nick Perry's a good player. He was never really a great player. And Clay Matthews wasn't quite the Texas Tornado that he was early in his career. These guys... I'm not expecting Von Miller and Khalil Mack have just signed in Green Bay. I'm not stupid enough to believe that. However, last year there were moments where Green Bay had, I mean, Kyler Fackrell. That's kind of the thing I'm the most excited about. I was really worried this offseason that Green Bay's front office was just going to sit and say, well, you know, we didn't do a whole lot to the edge position because we believe in Kyler Fackrell. He had 11 sacks last season, blah, blah, blah. If you look deeper into Fackrell's sack totals, mostly smoke and mirrors. I'll have to find the exact numbers for you guys. I'll tweet them out later. But somebody, and I don't remember, it was either Andy Herman or Ross Uglum or one of those really smart guys, pointed out that Fackrell had 10.5 sacks last year, and it was something on like 22 total pressures or something like that. That's a ridiculous conversion rate that doesn't seem sustainable. He's probably an average to slightly below average player, and Green Bay can't afford to have average to slightly below players starting at the most important position on you on your defense that you're hoping can help you make a run to the Super Bowl. So that's the part that I'm the most excited about. I still think they can add to that position group, whether it's at 12 
remains to be seen. It could be at 30. It could be at 44. Uh, I would still think they're going to spend a relatively high pick on a pass rusher. One of those three picks could potentially be used on a guy uh, to become the the third or fourth edge rusher for next season and then kind of step in gradually as those things work out. Um, but it's exciting that they have got some flexibility with the 12th overall pick. We don't have to sit on pins and needles hoping and praying that, well, I'd be disappointed if Brian Burns isn't available at 12. Yes, uh, because I think he's one of the best players in this draft class. However, it's not this devastation, death, and destruction that if they had gone into the draft with their starters being Kyler Fackrell and Reggie Gilbert, you have to draft a pass rusher at 12 if that's the case. Now, they'll say that they didn't have to do that, but they would have, and that's the reality. Now, you don't have to do that. You have some flexibility, and we'll talk more on that as the offseason progresses here. But it was exciting. I never in a million years thought they were going to sign both of those guys. And then you go to the signing that was right in the middle of there, and that was Adrian Amos of the Chicago Bears. Now, I incorrectly had the opinion of this guy is a guy who plays mostly in the box. I have since been proven wrong. There are numbers and data, and I will change my opinion. And I apologize because I pretty much deferred that opinion to some of the Bears guys I have around here. And it was incorrect. Stuff happens. Uh, Adrian Amos played 67% of his snaps last season as a free safety or a deep safety. Far from just a box safety. Now, you can kind of see what Green Bay's thinking with their visit of Curtis Riley, of trying to have two coverage guys back there. Uh, I imagine if the season started tomorrow, which it doesn't, but if it started tomorrow, the starting safeties would be Tremont Williams and Adrian Amos, and those are mostly coverage guys. So I think they're looking for another coverage type back there. Maybe this hopefully means Josh Jones is just going to play linebacker towards the line or close to the line of scrimmage. Call the position whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Keep him close to the line of scrimmage. But the Amos signing... First of all, let's get something out of the way. I don't give a damn what Greg Gabriel says. Uh, Haha Clinton Dix is not the same player that Adrian Amos is. Clinton Dix isn't a terrible player, but for the idea that Clinton Dix gave up these lucrative contracts and signed a one-year deal in Chicago, let me get, let me give you guys a little breakdown on something. Every player that has an ego, which is all of them, and takes a one-year contract is going to say, oh, yeah, I turned down more money to come here. I don't believe that. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I think that that's a way to massage his ego a little bit. And Chicago is going to, I mean, it's kind of a low-risk, high-reward kind of move because Clinton Dix can do some nice things. But Amos is a better player. Amos is an upgrade to everything the Packers had play safety last season. Uh, again, is he Ed Reed in his prime? No. Uh, but he's also not Eddie Pleasant or Kentrell Bryce or some of the other guys that they've had back in that secondary the last couple of seasons. So, Zach, what was your take on the Amos signing, uh, and what does it mean for the safety position moving into the rest of the offseason and the draft? I kind of had similar sentiments about Amos. I wasn't very high on him entering free agency. He wasn't one of the guys I wanted. Um, I, I was hoping they would make that impact splash signing of landing Earl Thomas or, hell, even as, as much as I – was against the idea, I wouldn't have minded Landon Collins. I would have talked myself into it one way or another. But Adrian Amos, it's, it, I don't want to call him a consolation prize because he, he is better than anything the Packers have on their roster right now. So having him, a guy that can kind of do it all, really kind of like like, like uh, Micah Hyde was able to do, a guy that can kind of fill in multiple spots and play all over the field and even play at free safety if the Packers need him to, and Lord knows they need to right now because they don't have anybody else right there. 
they could end up finding uh, finding someone to fill in right there in the draft, whether it's Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or uh, Nasir Adderley. Who knows? But Adrian Amos, I thought it was a very it was a smart signing. It wasn't the sexiest, obviously, but you know it, it, it was it was smart. And it was a guy that the Packers have tons of tape on, a guy that they're familiar with. And the Bears got Hoffman Clinton Dix. So, I, I mean, you know, the Packers are really obviously the, the obvious winners here. And I think everyone can agree with that. Everyone except Greg Gabriel, apparently, or who was it? It was one of the Arkish brothers said something about fanboy analysis, which is funny uh, considering the radio station he works for is the, the local one that I listen to around here. And there's a an anchor who is on the uh, mid-afternoon show that strictly refers to the quarterback in Chicago by his first name only. Uh, if that's not quote-unquote fanboying, and I'm not quite sure what that word means, but I'm not sure what is if that's not the case. Uh, but that, that was funny to me. Yeah, that was funny to me. But uh, the, the Amos signing, I think, matters. Um, like you said, they have a lot of options now at the safety spot. They could kick the can down the road and let Jermon Williams play that spot for one more year. I imagine... At some point, Ibrahim Campbell, once he can pass a physical, will be in for about the vet minimum. Uh, or Nasir Adderley, somebody who I didn't like at the beginning, but is starting to grow on me a little bit. I still, I still don't really love the idea of a safety in the first round. If they can get him at pick 44, I, I think that's about the sweet spot of where I would like him. But he is starting to grow on me a little bit. And let's be honest, guys. I mean, if he's Herb Adderley's relative, I don't remember exactly how they're related. But that's got to matter to some point, right? Maybe not, but who knows. The other signing was Billy Turner, uh, offensive line depth. They paid him $7 million. Brian Gutekunst said we're a long ways away from determining starters, but I really don't think you paid a guy $7 million to put him on the bench. Uh, and You're not going to pay Brian Balaga $8 million this year to have him sit on the bench. So it appears as of right now, the starting offensive line is going to be David Bakhtiari, Lane Taylor, Corey Lindsley, Billy Turner, and Brian Balaga. That leads to an interesting discussion because as soon as these signings were made, somebody said, oh, the Packers have draft flexibility. Can they take an offensive lineman at 12 overall? Here's the problem I have with that. In my opinion, if you're taking an offensive lineman in the top 15, I believe you should be hoping that he plays left tackle for you in the future. Left tackle is a more important position than right tackle. Not by a lot, but by enough, especially when you have a right-handed quarterback. And you're also, all things considered, hoping if you draft, let's just say it's Jonah Williams, if you draft Jonah Williams at 12, you are hoping in his first season that he does not play. I have a really hard time picking somebody in the top 15 and hoping, nope, he's not playing, and if all of our starters stay healthy, now that's unlikely, but I got a hard time picking somebody that you hope doesn't play. That's not to say that I don't want the offensive line position addressed, and maybe early. Maybe that means pick 30. Maybe that means pick 44. Maybe it means 75. But I know they have some depth issues on the offensive line, but I don't think I could get behind an offensive lineman pick at 12. I would understand it, but of all, if you asked me, you know, if somebody else was on the board, I would probably prefer that person. Zach, what's your take on taking a lineman that early with this signing of Billy Turner, and is he going to be the starting right guard? Well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot that early for one, especially, I mean, the Packers, a lot of people forget, they still have Ted Thompson on the staff as a staff, as a senior advisor. They have Milt Hendrickson from the Baltimore Ravens, who has drafted offensive linemen in the past, very good offensive linemen, and uh, I, I, I'm personally perfectly comfortable with kind of 
kicking the can on one of those mid-round guys. Because if there are mid-round guys available that fit the Packers' zone blocking scene that Matt LaFleur is trying to implement, Ted Thompson, Milt Hendrickson, LaFleur, Gutekunst, all those guys, they, they will find them there. There's no doubt about that. you, you got to trust these guys. And just shooting that high for, for an offensive lineman in a class like this that's loaded at positions of significant need. There's safeties on the board. There are edge on the board. There's tight ends. There's wider receivers that, that could benefit. I just don't think an offensive lineman would be the, the proper pick at 12. You know, it's it's the highest draft position the Packers have had in years, and I don't think you you, you I don't want to say blow it because you know protect Aaron Rodgers obviously is the first and foremost priority. But the Packers, they did bring in Billy Turner. They brought in a guy who, yeah, he he spent the team with a broken hand. He injured reserve, but he started all sixteen or played in all sixteen games for the Broncos last season. They. Like you said, they signed that big deal. They totally expect him to start at uh, right guard. So that answers that question. They're obviously hoping for a bounce-back Taylor from Lane Taylor. A bounce-back year from Lane Taylor, sorry. And those two spots were really the source of a lot of the problems the uh-huh. Packers had with, with their, their protection last year. You know, Aaron Rodgers was sacked 49 times. That was his most in a season in, in I believe, like six years, since like 2012. So, you know, and Rodgers going into his age 36 season, obviously you got, you got to control the beating he takes. He can't, he can't be on the ground as much, obviously. And like I said, a lot of the interior pressure came from those two guard spots last season. If he can get comfortable and just have the comfortability to step up into the pocket in 2019, that starts with just manning down those two guard spots, manning down the interior. And I think – they did with signing Billy Turner. Now, hopefully it's not a flop, but it, it's it's a lot better than having Justin McCray or Byron Bell in there, obviously. But that's not a knock on McCray either. He's a very good depth piece that play various spots in the offensive line. But Turner can at all. He can play multiple positions. He can kick out the tackle if he needs to. The Packers got – he's a very, very good signing, versatile guy. The Packers love versatile offensive linemen. Yeah, and the nice part is if they do nothing the rest of this offseason is Billy Turner can play right tackle if Belaga misses time, and not everything has to fall apart the way that it has in years past. So the offensive line depth, I do think that matters. I Again, I think I'm, we're on the same page here. You know, Somebody wants to compare this Packers team to like the Saints a few years ago when they took Marshawn Lattimore early, and then they took Ryan Ramchek. Well, they could easily take Ryan Ramchek, the second version, their version of him, at pick number 30. Again, whether that's... Garrett Bradbury, Chris Lindstrom, Dalton Reisner. There's a lot of options that they could have there. They don't have to spend a pick on that one. And to me, with Jonah Williams and Jawan Taylor and Andre Dillard, those are the three names I see the most towards the top of this class. We're not talking about guys that are prospects similar to the way of like Ron, the way Ronnie Stanley was viewed or Laramie Tunsil or some of these brick tackle prospects, these great tackle prospects that have been in years past. Now, that doesn't mean they won't turn out to be really good players. But I just can't picture passing on. I mean, there's so many names. Ed Oliver, Brian Burns, Montez Sweat, Devin Bush, Devin White, uh, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fance. Name your guy. It doesn't matter who. I would think all those guys I just mentioned are guys that I would rather them take at 12 overall. So that's another discussion. There's a long time between – well, not that long now. But there's a long time between now and the draft, and we'll be breaking down specific prospects for you guys here starting in the month of April. That's coming up very quickly. Stay tuned for that stuff. Zach, it wasn't all good since we've been gone. Uh, obviously, the Packers added some guys. That means they also subtracted some guys. Um, 
Nick Perry was cut. I don't think we need to spend too much time on that. I liked Nick Perry, the player. Like I mentioned earlier, he was good, never really great. Uh, and unfortunately, body appears to be betraying him a little bit. He's broken down. And the only thing a little surprising to me is that he hasn't garnered any interest on the open market since being released. I figured if he was healthy, somebody might want to take a flyer on, you know, one. He's a pass rusher. I mean, you know, bad pass rushers get paid all the time. Nick Perry's certainly not a bad player. But the two big names, obviously, two Packers heroes were Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews. Let's start with Randall Cobb just because. You've been very vocal about him for the last couple of years, and you seem to have a fan following on Twitter every time Randall Cobb dropped a pass or <laughs> farted in public or God knows what. So let's start there. Uh, again, I don't think this was surprising. Um, you saw Everybody has seen the picture by now of him and Rodgers hugging and tears in their eyes before that game started. They knew that that was his last game in Green Bay. So a little appreciation for Randall Cobb here. He was a great draft pick. It seemed like... That was the draft crush that everybody on Packers Twitter had that year, and I jumped out of my seat at a Chili's uh, when (laughs) Randall Cobb was selected because I was so happy that he was coming to Green Bay. Started his career with a bang, obviously. Two touchdowns that opening night against the New Orleans Saints. Ran the wrong route on one. Rodgers still hit him, and he made a play after the catch. Countless great memories, big plays. He was a big-time player in big-time games. Uh, He caught a pass that sealed the Des Bryant game in 2014 the Hail Mary against the Giants, two huge plays against the Chicago Bears. I'm sure they're not very uh, upset to see him go. He was a bear killer. Um, He never quite lived up to the contract that he got after the 2014 season, and that seemed to get people really upset about him. But to me, Randall Cobb was a very good player. Uh, He'll be a Packers Hall of Famer, no question about that for me. And I think that... You know, it's sad to see him go. I didn't want to see him wearing a Dallas Cowboys star on the side of his helmet, but that's where we're at, unfortunately. I wish him as much luck as I can to a Dallas Cowboy, uh, but I, I do think it was time for him to go uh, at the end here. Um, I think it was very clear that the Packers needed to move in a different direction, but I do still think that if he's healthy, I think he'll do okay in Dallas with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup getting the majority of the targets. Cobb is actually, in my opinion especially with the contracts they got a better player and a better value than Cole Beasley, the player who got bank going to uh, Buffalo there. So not surprising, but still sad, Zach. Go ahead and pour one out for your homie. Uh, Yeah, that's true. uh, uh, Look, I think he exceeded expectations as a guy who, you know, drafted in the second round. You know, he's just going to be this – slot receiver is going to be reliable. He's supposed to be this huge, you know, this, this big play dynamic threat that ended up becoming one of Aaron Rodgers' most trusted targets, one of his, his fan favorite in Green Bay, and a guy who will probably end up, like you said, being in the Packers Hall of Fame one day. So that 2014 season when he really, when he broke out, had what was it, the 1,200 yards, got that big contract, you know, that was – Really, Cobb at, at the peak of his abilities, and even when he even outside of 2014, when he was on the run, when he caught passes, he was just in the open field. He was tripping guys out. He was hard to bring down. He was weaving in and out. It was it, it was so fun. It was refreshing to see that 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 playmate in the offense, and, and a guy that you you get the ball in his hands, he would just do whatever he possibly can with it before finally going to the ground. So. 
yeah, Cobb, like you said, it was it was just time. And the Packers are trying, they're obviously trying to move forward under the under this new regimen. And he, it just, it just, it, he couldn't, couldn't stick around. And I think Aaron Rodgers, Randall Cobb, they all knew that. And if that's, that's, that's the nature of the business. That's the, that's the, the tough part. You got to say, you got to say bye to guys like that, guys you've been around for seven, eight seasons. It's tough, you know, but Randall Cobb definitely provided some of the memories. And I have, spent countless hours defending him on Twitter and there's no secret about that but Randall Cobb definitely one of the uh, one of my favorite players over the last uh, again I should say definitely and I actually sold him short I said the Hail Mary catch against the Giants I just remembered he actually had three touchdowns in that game and really in that game yeah. yeah had the touchdown the Hail Mary is what everybody remembers but he actually had a touchdown when the game was 14 to 13 that really kind of blew the game open, and Green Bay never really trailed again after that. Well, they obviously never trailed after the Hail Mary, but the game was never really in doubt after Cobb had that big touchdown in the middle of the field, and then he had the one in the back of the end zone that really put that game away. Cobb was a big game player. He made big plays in big games. It was very rare that the Packers were in a playoff game, and you went, you went like, damn, where's Randall Cobb? Like, he hasn't done anything today. Very rare that that happened. He was a big-time player. Uh, and I wish him, as like I mentioned earlier, as much luck as I can wish to a now Dallas Cowboy uh, in his in his next step of his career. So I hope he does. And he was, he was total class, too. Yeah, absolutely. Every just, just defined it. Yeah, every account has always said Cobb was a great guy. He did some great things in the community. I've met Randall Cobb a couple times. He was always really cool, uh, consummate professional, and. Uh, it's sad to see guys like that go. Uh, the other guy that left, obviously, was was Clay Matthews. He's been the face of this defense. Really, honestly, he was kind of the co-face of the defense when Charles Woodson was around. And as soon as Woodson left, everybody knew. Like, you see Green Bay defense, and it was Clay Matthews. Something about him that I always knew that made him a great player was how different that defense was when he wasn't on the field. For example, in 2010, when Matthews was healthy and playing, the defense was one of the best in football. When he was not on the field, they were pretty darn average. And that was a defense that finished the top five in the league and won a Super Bowl. Uh, Matthews is the franchise's all-time leader in sacks. Uh, he got, he played injured. He played with uh, various ailments throughout his career. He switched positions. He wasn't always the happiest about having to play on the inside, but he did do it. Um, and I know some fans eventually got sick of Matthews by you know, the contract that he signed as well, saying it wasn't worth it. To me, Matthews played with a broken thumb. Uh, he, he, If he was able to play injured, he did. And I think that I, I got a really hard time blaming players for getting injured just because it makes it, the way that we talk about injuries, it almost makes it feel like the player is trying to get injured and that they're not doing everything they can to get back on the field. And that just wasn't the case. Clay Matthews may look... Hollywood, quote-unquote, the long hair, he's from California, all that sort of stuff, but he really isn't. Uh, he's a gritty player, he's tough, uh, and he said he's a difference maker in his um, press conference with the Los Angeles Rams. Is he the same player that he was in 2010? No. Uh, but he is going to play a role in Los Angeles that I feel like is the role that Green Bay should have been looking to get for him for the last couple of years. They haven't been able to do it for various reasons. And as I've mentioned, uh, the, again, another player who he had 11 sacks in 13 playoff games, another big-time player 
in big-time moments. And if you think back to – there's so many plays in Super Bowl 45. You can probably sit back and argue this with me. I would tell you the biggest play of that game, there's two options to me. One is the Aaron Rodgers throw to Greg Jennings on third and ten uh, on the final drive that they had. And the other one, obviously, is they're, they're winning 21-17. Kevin Green tells them it's time, and Clay Matthews forces a fumble on the very next play. Pittsburgh was going in to take the lead at that point. Uh, they fumbled on the first play of the fourth quarter. And I'll be honest with you guys as I'm sitting here, as Matthews makes that play, before that play started, I had some severe doubts in my head that Green Bay was going to win. As soon as he forced that fumble, I, I mean, naturally some doubt crept into my head from time to time. But it was never as serious as it was at that point. Clay Matthews, first ballot Packers Hall of Famer, uh, one of the greatest defensive players. Maybe in my lifetime, I caught the very tail end of Reggie White. Probably the best defensive player I've ever seen play in his prime other than Charles Woodson. Great Packer. Again, a lot of really good things have been said about him as well as far as the person that he's been since he's been in Green Bay as well. L.A. got a really good one. Uh, I'll be rooting for him while he's out there. Um, But again, another one of those things that probably was time to go. I don't think the Packers could justify paying him. Got $8.5 million uh, a year from the Rams. I don't think Green Bay could justify paying him that. So it was probably time for him to go as well. Uh, I wish he could have come back. I would have probably drawn the line in the sand at about five million bucks. So it's quite, quite possible, or it looks exactly that way, that he couldn't come back under that price. So, Zach, what are your thoughts on Clay exiting, and you know what, uh, what do you expect from him as he goes out to LA? You know, I, out of the veterans that were leaving the Packers, I thought that Clay had the best chance of being back. I thought. But they would find a way to negotiate some kind of team friendly to kind of keep him around, let him play out the final years of his career as a Packer or, or a year, depending on what it was. But yeah, you know, and, and I, I feel like bringing him back would have probably meant, you know, a full time move to middle linebacker, which probably would have meant the best thing for the defense as a whole. But, you know, he just, he obviously didn't have the same strength, same speed, the, the power to win one on one battles on the edge anymore. So, it, you know, it, it was time. It's time to, to, to cut the ties. Honestly, you can't you can't bring a guy like that back when you're trying to pro- progress forward at defense. You can't hang on to old faces. So, Matthews obviously as great of a player as he was, and I, I share your sentiment as well. Probably the best player that I've seen defensively in in my time, personally. But obviously Charles Woodson is up there as well. But Clay Matthews, man, he, he provided some of the best. Even when he wasn't sacking the quarterback, he was there in the guy's face. He was disrupting plays. He was he was the claymaker, you know, and he 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 was like that. That nickname was rightfully given to him because he was always making plays. He was always disrupting, and that's why he, he was he's one of the Packers' sack leaders. But you know, I, I think with the Rams, they're they're getting. For eight and a half million, you you would think they're getting the guy who's going to be playing like a full time role. Yes, but I think he's going to be kind of like one of those rotational veteran kind of guys. I mean, you, you, they love Green Bay scraps for some reason. They went after Sam Shields last year, and now they're going after Clay Matthews, and it, they might have gone after some other Green Bay uh, ex Packer. I, I can't remember, but yeah, I, I see I see Clay Matthews kind of filling in that veteran kind of rotational role player kind of guy. He just steps in probably third down situations, or maybe you know he does. Maybe he does fill in a linebacker role that shifts to the middle in certain situations, but I don't see him filling in filling in there as a as a starter by any means. 
No, and that seems to be the best the best role for him at this point. Again, he can. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he can play those two more years and be pretty good at it for the next two years. Uh, whether or not that's the end of the line two years from now, we'll see. Obviously, but yeah, it's uh, for nostalgia purposes. Uh, that was a that was a tough day there. On I think it was Wednesday night that everything hit that Clay and Cobb were gone. So the right Tuesday. moves Tuesday. There you go. Okay, so the right move for those purposes, but from a nostalgia purpose, yeah, it was it was tough to. Uh, to watch that happen, um, and like you said, we wish those guys luck uh, in their next their next faith or their next journey. I hope that uh, they come back to Green Bay next year for a playoff game or something like that. That would be kind of cool uh, to see that happen. But yeah, there you go. That would mean Green Bay has home field advantage and throughout the playoffs, which would be awesome too. Uh, that's that's going to end this version of Pack a Day. We thank you guys for listening into this show. Uh, you can follow it on Twitter. It's at Pack a Day Podcast. You can follow me. I'm at Jacob Westdorf. You can follow Zach at Zach A. Jacobson. Zach A. Jacobson. Thank you guys for listening to the show. The Cheesehead TV draft guide is out available. Pre-order it here. The time for pre-ordering is coming to an end. You can get it for seven bucks, and it'll be one of the best things you read all year. A lot of really good, smart people breaking down this year's draft class. We're about four weeks away. From the NFL Draft, the Packers will pick 12th and 30th, or maybe they'll pick somewhere else. We don't know. That'll be the fun part of this year's draft. We also want to tell you about Friday, day two of the NFL Draft. Cheesehead TV will be hosting a draft hangout, just like we did last year during day two of the NFL Draft. I will be there. Uh, Zach, I think you said you were coming too, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Okay, so Zach will be there. You'll see us and a lot of other faces to go through with Cheesehead TV and all the great people that do draft breakdowns. It'll be day two of the NFL draft. Remains to be seen what's going on for day one just yet, but I do know that'll be happening for day two. Thank you guys for listening into the show, and as always, Go Pack Go! Third and six, trailing 30-23, to 23, two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Yes! Devontae Adams! Left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers! 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the catch. Nice Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds, inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. Yes. He's got it, out of bounds, inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.